Mike's on this morning. That's good. Uh, <laughs> hey, Dan, where, where are you at, Dan? Um, in the back. So there you are. Hey, six years. Okay. It took me six years to get through seminary. So five years, you did a lot better than I did. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so good job. Hey, so question is what amazes you? What amazes you? You know, is it, uh, last Sunday, right? Uh, on, I, I think it was last Sunday, right? Last Sunday, there was a football game and there was this catch. The Vikings were, uh, were playing and, and they, they, there was this back and forth and, and there's this amazing pass. It was like, how did in the world did that defender do what they did? And they caught the ball and he scored a touchdown and they won and they're playing. Um, I don't know. Are they playing today? I think every, I'm not a, not a football guy or not an NFL guy. But what amazes you? Is it, is it the unlikely and unbelievable touchdown pass with time expiring? Is it, it, is it a newborn baby, right? You, holding the newborn baby. And you're like, how? God, how could you create something so wonderful and so beautiful? How does this all work? You know, is it, the, um, it, it, is it, the, is it standing on the beach and seeing the awesome power and the beauty of, of the ocean and God's creation uh, in its majesty? Is it, is it looking down into the Grand Canyon or experiencing Niagara Falls? I mean, what amazes you? Right, I'm re- I, I've, I've been distracted, and so I haven't, I haven't gotten finished the book. But I've been reading a book called "Awe" by uh, Paul David Tripp, and uh, it, it's something I, I've, I've kind of been working through very slowly over the last year. And one of the things he says is that we are made to have awe. Right, God has made us to have awe, and we will find awe in something. It can be Him, or it can be something else. So what amazes you? That's the question today. So Morgan, Morgan leaned over to me uh, right before church started, and she said, hey, so Ray, it's been three years. She's like, this was three years ago. We came to Mount Calvary, uh, and we came out of politeness. Somebody invited us to come. We, we had, uh, God had ended our time at our, our previous church, and, and somebody said, hey, why don't you come to Mount Calvary? And I was like, I don't really want to go. And I didn't. For, for several weeks, we went someplace else, and uh, finally we said, okay, we need to go to be polite, and so we came, and we didn't leave. Uh, and I, I remember I told Jonathan and, and Pastor Dick at the time, I said, hey, we're going we're gonna to rest, and, in, and after Easter in April, we're going to start looking for uh, church jobs. <laughs> and so we didn't leave. And so what amazes you? God, who is powerful in all things and who, who loves us so much that he's involved in every single detail of our lives. So today, we're continuing in our series on leaving a legacy, and specifically, we're going to look in Joshua chapter 2, and so if you want to turn in your Bibles or turn on your smart device to Joshua 2, we're going to get there, but the question is, what amazes you, and does God amaze you? Last week, we looked at Joshua 1, and we, we looked at le- leaving a legacy of leading well. And what, does it meant, what did it mean to lead our families or uh, to, for God to make a difference where he's planted us? We talked about the, uh, the, the need to willingly obey our great God. We, we, we talked about the need for us to have a big view of God because our view of God was going to impact our children and grandchildren and those that, were, that were, we are around. We talked about calling others to obedient faith. But today in Joshua chapter 2, as, as the Israelites are preparing to go into the promised land uh, in Joshua chapter 2, we're going to look at le- le- leaving a legacy of living in awe of God. 
living in awe of God. And this is the idea, this idea of God being a great God. This is why Joshua is one of my favorite books in scripture is because it carries throughout, throughout the story, throughout all the chapters that God is a great God. The the book of Joshua is about him and what he does and the promise that he has made to them and how he's bringing that about. This is not a book about the Israelites being victorious. This is a, this is a book about God being victorious and giving to the Israelites stuff that they didn't earn or didn't deserve. And so, uh, so we're continuing today, and uh, you know, for the Israelites, all they had to do was show up, and then God does all the work. And so we, we finished, if you, if you look uh, with me at the very end of chapter 1, uh, as they finished in um, uh, verse 12 and, and following, well, I'm sorry, in verse 11, Joshua is passing through the midst of the camp, and he commands all the people to get ready. So he, he's gone through the camp. The Israelites are committed. Forty years earlier, they had failed, right? They had come to the, they come to the same spot. They had sent spies into the land, and they had failed. They had gotten scared because of the giants that lived in the land. And so here they, but he's committed. He's committed. They're going into the land, and we come to chapter 2. The generation before had lost their opportunity to receive the blessings of God and the full promise of God, but in Joshua chapter 2, they will start to move forward with that. And so the first thing I want us to see, I'm going to pray because I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray and then we're going we're gonna to look at it. So God, I just pray that you would speak today, uh, Lord, that you would help us to have awe of you and how amazing you are. Lord, I pray that that would be our heart. Our heart would be focused upon, uh, upon who you are, that you would help us to see you and behold you and how amazing and how great that you are. Speak to us through your word this morning. It's in your name. Amen. Um, So the first thing I want us to see in the first seven verses is to live in awe of God, live in awe of how God works out all the little details, how God works together all the little details. Read with me verses one through seven of chapter two. It says, then Joshua, the son of Nun, went, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, uh, saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. And I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of the flax, which she had laid in order, uh, in order on the roof. And so the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. And so in chapter 1, the people are preparing to go into the land. He's gone, Joshua's gone through the camp, and he's told them, hey, get ready. In three days, we're going to go into the land, and we're going we're to obey our God. In chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, he sends spies, and it says he sent them secretly, right? So this is not, in some ways, you can look at this, and you can say, well, why did he send spies? In chapter 1, he said he was confident, He was confident that God had given them victory, that this is a land that he was going to give them and a land that he had already given to them. And so he was confident, he had faith, God was going to work. But in verse 1, he secretly sends spies into the land. Now, this this is not a lack of faith, 
right? This is not uh, Joshua saying, okay, let's figure out how hard this is going to be, right? This is not Joshua saying, hey, maybe we should think about this again before we actually take the leap. This is Joshua saying, hey, we're going, let's prepare, Let's know what we're going to face. And so this is leadership. This is Joshua. He's preparing. He's planning. He's being strategic. And so he sends them into the land. And specifically in verse 1, he says, go to Jericho. Jericho would be the first major city that they would face. And he wanted to know what they were, going, what they were up against. But in this verse, in verse 1, you, you, just, you, almost, you don't really get it. It just happens so quick, right? So they go, these spies go into the land. And they came into the house of Rahab. So I want you to go into E-Town, and I want, I want you to go to Carl Foyt's house, right? And if you've never been to Carl Foyt's house, then you don't have a clue who Carl Foyt is or, or where he lives, right? That's this idea. He's sending two spies into the city, this city of thousands, and they find the one person. They find the one person in all of the city that would believe. They find the one person that would have faith in God who would help them and God would use to protect them. One person in the entire city that would follow because of her faith, her family would be saved. But it's kind of lost. They they went into the city and they found Rahab. Okay, right? There was not a sign, right? There wasn't a sign saying, okay, this way to Rahab's house. Rahab will save you, okay? There there, there was, was, this is God at work in the littlest of details saying, hey, I'll take care of it. You know, the world thinks coincidence, right? The world thinks that, hey, when things just happen and you're just like, I don't know how that, how that, how that occurred. The world thinks coincidence. But we don't serve a God of coincidence. We serve a God who is amazing and who a God, a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and who works all the details together. I, I shared... Um, We've shared this story with some, but uh, last month when my brother, uh, my brother was sick uh, from the time he was 11 years old, and so he was sick for about 27 years, and um, over the course of his life, the treatments that he had, uh, they, they attacked his liver and his, his kidneys, and, and so in December, um, his kidneys were failing, and they, we knew that it was the end, and so I got the call saying, hey, I don't have much longer from my brother, and on Monday, the Monday before he passed away, we said, hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. On Monday, that Monday, we got a check in the mail for our credit card. We knew it was coming, right? It's the rewards points that we would get every year. We knew it was coming. We hadn't budgeted it. So we got the check. We said, well, God is good. Bought the plane ticket, got the rental car, drove to, uh, flew from Baltimore to Cincinnati, drove from Cincinnati to Terre Haute, Indiana, um, stayed, uh, spent the day and the next day with him, um, all told, when it was all done, when you talk about plane ticket and rental car and gas and parking and all everything, total cost was five hundred and seven dollars. I went up and I went back to the credit card statement and added it up. Our credit card reward statement was four hundred and ninety-seven dollars. I I spent ten dollars on coffee, <laughs> so maybe I should maybe I didn't need coffee, um, but it's not a coincidence. Right? That's the thing. It's not a coincidence. God intimately cares about each and every one of us, and he works together the little details. And, and we, we miss it. Right? We go through life, and it's so easy. We go through life so, so fast, and we got to get to sports practice. we got to get to ballet. We gotta, i got this project. i got to travel right for work, whatever it is. We go so fast, we miss 
and how God is working together in all the littlest details to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in his lives. Sometimes all he wants to accomplish in your life is to say, hey, I love you. Sometimes it's not great and earth-shattering other than the fact that it says, hey, I love you, and I want to show you how much I love you, and I want to show you who I am and how amazing I am. God and his sovereign goodness brought these two spies. When they went into the city of Jericho, he brought them to the one person who would have faith in him. The one person to live in awe of how God works together the little details. He's working together the little details in your life. Second thing I want us to look at is that we need to live in awe of God's abundant grace. We need to live in awe of God's abundant grace. Looking at verse 1 still, right? So in verse 1, they come into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab. Some translations, uh, some translations will use the word prostitute. In the Hebrew, literally, uh, literally it means one who keeps an inn. And so there could be some, some idea that maybe she was just an innkeeper. But, but the New Testament, if we were to look at James chapter 2, verse 25, and Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, we'd see very clearly in the Greek, the word that they use is prostitute, as we would understand prostitute. And so here, God sent them to the one person who would have faith in him who would believe and she was the lowly of the lowly she was not any more highly thought of than we would think of prostitutes today and yet he chose her among all the people of the city of jericho to believe he chose her to save these two spies that were in the land he chose her ultimately to be a part of the lineage in the family tree of jesus christ Right when we, you think about this, right? This Jesus was cr- uh, criticized when he was when he was uh, in ministry because he he ate with sinners, right? And publicans, or uh, my translations are mixing up in my head, but he was criticized because he associated with the lowest of the low, the outcasts, right? And yet, in his family tree is a lowly of a low. She wasn't even Jewish, right? So let's think about it. So she was a prostitute. She likely, the where she lived, because she lived on the wall uh, in the city of Jericho, is likely the poorest, uh, the poorest part of the city because there were two walls. Uh, there were two walls that were part of the defense. Uh, the inner city was the most well-protected <clears throat> and likely the, uh, the, the, the wealthier, the better off uh, lived there. And she lived on the wall of the second, uh, the outer wall of defense. And so she likely lived in the poorest area of town. Uh, she was likely, uh, she, she, she was not very well thought of. She was a woman. Right? She was a woman, and in that day, women had few, if any, rights. And uh, she was, if, she, if she had been married, she likely uh, would have been considered as property. But worse than all of that, she wasn't even Jewish. Right? And she wasn't even Jewish. Because, and for the Israelites to say, hey, God used a woman who was not even of Abraham to save and to spare two of his own. So here, she is, the, she is unlikely candidate for God to use in a great and magnificent way. And yet, in his abundant grace, he chose to use her. He said, I love you. He accepted her exactly where she was at. He says, I love you. And in her faith in him, she went on to become part of the lineage and the family tree of Jesus. Are you in awe of God's abundant grace in your life. 
Jonathan and, and Dan both said about how undeserving that we are. And in my prideful days, I think about how deserving I am. But we're not. Are you amazed and in awe that God chose to save you? That God chooses to use you in any way whatsoever? That God's given you kids to, to disciple and to, to bring up to love him? That God has put you where you work, that, that you can have an impact on, on those, that, that, that your colleagues, that, that he's put you exactly where he wants in Pennsylvania, Elizabethtown, Mount Joy, uh, Palmyra, uh, wherever it is. He's put you exactly where he wants so that you can make an eternal difference in other people's lives. And you didn't deserve it. You could never be worthy of it. And yet in his abundant grace, he sent Jesus Christ that forever, whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Don't lose sight of his abundant grace. Don't take it for granted. Don't lose it. Here was Rahab, a woman that, that did, definitely didn't deserve it. Here was Rahab. It was a woman who, uh, who, who was not of the family of God, who was not an Israelite, who did, had no background uh, that would be associated whatsoever with, with somebody that was godly. And yet God said, I love you enough that she would believe that she would have faith that when everybody else would look upon what God had done, when they heard about God and how great he was and how powerful he was, she chose to submit herself to him. This is the way God's always done it, though, right? He always chooses the lowest of the low and the unlikely. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29, it says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of this world and the despised God has chosen, and these things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before God. We look at Rahab and we are amazed that he would use a woman such as this to protect these two spies. And ultimately, because of her faith and trust in God, she would go down as, as, a, as, as one of few in Matthew chapter 5, uh, few women mentioned. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith, she's one of two women mentioned. She's mentioned alongside Sarah, right, Abraham's wife, and earlier in the chapter. So I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how much money you have, where you work, where, uh, where you live, or the type of clothes that you wear. God in his abundant grace loves you. He loves you. And he wants to show you how amazing and how great he is. He, he sent his son to die for you that you might have forgiveness and eternal life. And God in his abundant grace loves you. Said, There's no one. I remember in high school, uh, I was sharing the gospel with a friend um, or with a classmate, and, and he told me, he was, he's like, well, God can't save me. I'm too bad. That's what he told me. This kind of shocking uh, as somebody who's newer in the faith, and he says, well, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm too bad. God, God can't save me. Within the next year, God had saved him. There's nothing, there's no one that is too far from his grasp. There's no one that he cannot save, no one that he's not willing to forgive. God in his abundant grace not only loves you, but he has a plan to accomplish his will through you and to bring himself glory. We don't deserve it. 
And without Jesus Christ, we are hopeless and helpless. But in that, in our hopelessness and in our helplessness, God offers us salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's the picture we have with Rahab, that, that God has abundant grace for us and we should be in awe. So live in awe of God's abundant grace. Don't take it for granted. Never act like it's not a big deal. And the last thing to see today is that we need to live in awe of God's great power. We need to live in awe of great, God's great power. Verses 8 through 11. It says, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were before the Jordan, to Shihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it and our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Rahab's life was changed. She was able to have faith because she heard about God. Verse 9, and verse 9 says she, that, uh, that she's, she said that she knew that this, God had given them this land. I know, right? She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. In verse 10, she talks about the story about how they crossed the Red Sea as they escaped Egypt. In verse 10, she says they've heard about how they defeated the kings on the other side of the Jordan, how they were utterly destroyed. Everybody else responds in fear and their hearts melt away and they do anything and everything they can fight, right? The king has sent men to Rahab that he might find out where they, these two spies are so that he can kill them. But Rahab says, no. I, I, she puts her own life at risk, right? She puts her own life at risk that, that her king would find out that she's lied. And she says, I don't fear you. I fear God. I fear the one that has the power to separate the waters, the one that, that has power over kings and kingdoms. Their hearts melt and their courage fail. But look in verse 11, Rahab's response. He says, our hearts, our hearts melted, right? But at the end of it, he says, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. This is Rahab's profession of faith. It's a confession that God has all power and all authority, that he is able and does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth. It's a confession that all other gods, the gods of her city, the gods of the, of the land of Canaan, they were nothing. <clears throat> Rahab had heard about God's greatness and power and majesty, and it changed her life. She was in awe of who God was, and it caused her to say, I will do anything that you ask me to do. I'm on your side, God. I believe. People don't risk their lives for a God who is not mighty and powerful. People don't sacrificially give to a God who's not proven himself faithful over and over. People don't want to follow a benign and passive God. People want a living and active and great God. How? What amazes you? Does God amaze you in your life? Have you seen God at work? Have you seen his goodness and his grace and his love for you? Next week, we're going to look at, in Joshua chapter 4, Lord willing, uh, and we're going we're to look at remembering the things that God has done. 
And it, it, that's the question. She, Rahab, she is responding because she has heard of the great things that God has done. And because he is a great God, because he is a powerful God, she says, I believe. Share. Um, God's, God's just amazing. Sometimes... Sometimes he does things just to show us how amazing he is for no other purpose. It doesn't get us out of a trial, right? It doesn't, um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't meet a need that we have in our lives. It's just he acts in such a way that he says, see, I'm pretty amazing. I, so I, I've shared a couple of times how, how Tim, last week I shared some about how this young man, this uh, classmate of mine in high school shared the gospel, Tim Bigler, uh, how he shared the gospel with me. And because, of, because he shared the gospel with me, uh, God used him to bring me to salvation in Jesus Christ. I shared last week how, um, how we didn't understand it, but God took him early. Uh, the, the summer after we graduated, uh, he, Tim passed away in a car accident uh, and, and we saw God's amazing work. Okay, so I keep that in your mind. So years later, Morgan and I are married and, uh, and we're, we're, we're pregnant with Andrew. And I, I asked, we find out that it's a boy and I say, well, Morgan, can we, can, we, can we honor God for how he used Tim in my life and give Andrew the middle name of Timothy? And so we said, yeah. Um, okay, fast forward a couple more years. I joined Facebook. Okay, I promise this connects. <laughs> uh, in 2009, we joined, I joined Facebook because we were coming up here uh, to Pennsylvania, and we wanted to stay connected. And Andrew's birthday rolls around July 25th, and um, I connected with a bunch of people uh, at our church, that, at my church in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, that I was at when I first became a Christian. And, and Tim's sister was one of those people, and she posted a memory of Tim on July 25th. I didn't know. July 25th was the day that, that the Lord took Tim home to glory, that he got to, he got to shed this life and go spend eternity in heaven. And Andrew was born three weeks early. We had no choice. We made no decision. There was nothing that was impacted by it. Right, we we didn't pay a bill. We didn't, uh, we you know, healing uh, didn't happen in anybody's life. There was nothing other than God said, "See, you won't even know how good I am and how amazing I am for years later." That He would. That He would say thanks for remembering what I've done. Let me show you how great I am. Are you in awe of God's great power in your life? I, I feel, feel awkward sharing personal stories about how we've seen God at work in our lives because I don't, I'm not deserving of what God has done. I'm not special. I'm not more holy. I can guarantee you I'm not more holy than other people in this room. But are you in awe of what God has done in your life? He shows us his great power. I'm confident of it. He shows us his great power all the time, and yet we miss it. We don't see it. We're not looking for it. Are you amazed by him and who he is and what he's done, his love for you? 
There's no coincidence, coincidences. He generally cares for all of us. He's the Lord of lords and King of kings, and he's never surprised. And he holds all power over the great and the small things in his life. But it's easy to forget. Live in awe of how God works together the little details. Live in awe of God's abundant grace and live in awe of God's great power. This is not a point, but, um, but I remember something that, uh, that I was talking with Matt earlier in the week when, when he said, hey, <laughs> sickness is going through the house. <laughs> On Saturday morning, I texted him and said, hey, how was everything? He's like, I'm competent. I'm good. That's what he told me. <laughs> He's like, I'm good. Um, Rahab was in awe of God right? Uh, She was in awe of God, and so she believed, and she responded. She took great personal risk uh, uh, in in protecting these men. And then after that, she pleaded for her family, right? I mean, after that, she pleaded for her family. Look with me in verse 12. This is not on the screen, so I apologize. It says, now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Her response to the awe of God was, God, can you show your goodness and your greatness to my family too? Church, I long my heart is that we would be a church, that we'd be parents, that we'd be teachers and nurses and accountants and engineers and stay-at-home moms who live in awe of the greatness of God. We just shake our head and say, how in the world does that happen? Only God. My prayer is that our next pastor would be a man who continually calls us to be in awe of God. Are you living in awe of God? When you are in awe of God and who he is and what he's done, then your heart cries out and your heart cries out in worship, right? That's when we sing about God and his greatness and we say, behold our God. It's, it's why we're able to cry out because we're like, God, you truly are amazing in all things. And when we're living in awe, then our hearts will be, uh, in, where our hearts will be in, in, in drawn into worship. And, and then there's something that's funny that happens, right? When you're drawn into worship and you're focused on our great and amazing God, you realize how in little and insignificant you are. You realize that, that you matter nothing, and yet God chose to love you. And it makes you, it, it's this, this loop that feeds itself, right? And it's just like, God, you chose to love me. Live in awe of God. Our children and our grandchildren, those that we live around, our families and coworkers, the world around us, they need and long to see something that makes a difference in our lives, in life. They don't want some self-help guide, right? They don't want, they don't want uh, some false hope. They want a God. If they're going to follow a God, it requires them to give up everything, to, sac- to give their life and their faith in in. They want a God who they can believe in, a God who is powerful and active and living. Our God is living and active, and he's the creator of all things, and all power and authority rests in him, and yet he is full of tender mercies. 
and unfathomable grace. Today, if you don't know him, this is my invitation to you, is, is if you do not know this great and powerful God that we talk about, then we want to introduce you to him through his son, Jesus Christ. We want to tell you about how he, Jesus came to, to this world because we were hopeless and helpless in our sin. We could not save ourselves. We want to tell you about Jesus Christ who loved us so much. He left the perfection of heaven and he came to earth and he lived a perfect life. And how, how in living a perfect life, he became the only one that was able to forgive us our sins through his death on the cross. But he did not stay dead. He was resurrected, and three days later, he came back. And because of that, he's defeated death, and he's defeated sin. And we want to introduce you to that God. We want to introduce you to a God that is so intimately aware of who you are and knows every fiber of your being. He knows how many hairs that you have on your head. He knew you in your mother's womb. We want you to know that God. And today, after, after we, we close, Pastor Jonathan and one of the elders will be here at the front, and we invite you to come and talk to them. You don't have to understand it. You can come with any question that you have, and they'd love to sit with you and answer and pray. For the rest of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, here's my prayer, right? Here's what I ask, or here's what I ask you to do this week. For the next seven days, every day, I want to ask that you pray that God would show his power, and his glory to you. That he would show you how great he is, that you would see him at work in the littlest of details, that you would you would, you'd marvel at his grace, and that you would see his power. Next week, we're going to talk about remembering God's goodness and telling future generations of that. And so this week, in preparation for that, I just ask you to pray, that you say, God, show me. Help me to see, because he's great truly is amazing. And I pray that you'd stay in, in awe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for, for loving us. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being a God that is worthy of our worship and of all that we, are, we have to give you. God, you are good. You are gracious. You are kind and tender to us, and you love us. I thank you for that. Lord, help us to be in awe of who you are, to live in awe of who you are. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and salvation and hope and forgiveness that we have through him. God, I pray you'd show yourself this week in our lives. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ray. <clears throat> I was sitting there listening this morning, and I was thinking, you know, I'm awed at a lot of stupid things. I'm awed that the fact that Amazon can get a package to my house in two days. I mean, I, that just, like, boggles my mind. I mean, I watch documentaries on that and just, like, all the logistics, and I'm awed by that. And I was sitting here thinking, I'm awed by the stupidest things. And I miss out on the great God that we have and the grace that he has shown me and how he works all the details together. And I miss that because I'm looking so many other places. We were in Sunday school this morning, just a quick story, because it relates to this. Going through Acts chapter 16, Peter and Silas in prison. 
And we're walking through the story, and we're walking about how God is, is in the midst of working through even the, the littlest details, and how his grace is, is so amazing that, that, that he saves the jailer's life. He sends an earthquake, and it opens up all the, all the, the, the jails and, and, and the doors and, and the chains fall off. And you think he did that to save Paul and Silas's life, but he sent it to save the jailer's life. He was about ready to take his life because he thought everybody was gone, and Paul cries out and says, we're all here. And he rushes into them, and he brings them out, and he says, what must I do to be saved? Because Paul and Silas, in the midst of that, that prison, were praising God and, 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 and praying to him, and he heard them. He re recognized that something was different. And so we're going through this story, and one of our junior high boys caught the all of God. He's like, we're talking through this, and his eyes are getting big and big. And he says this, do you mean that when we get to heaven, that jailer will be there? And I said, exactly, he will. And at that moment, it was just awesome to watch Jordan's face and just to see how, how he caught how great and gracious and powerful God was. And I worked out all those details through that whole story to rescue that jailer's life. And the look on his face was like, wow, God is amazing. I'm awed at a lot of stupid things. And man, this week, I, my prayer is that, that, that I would be able to focus on God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, and the way that he works, even in the midst of things that doesn't go my way, that I could see his handiwork and just be amazed, be in awe of his goodness. Because you know what, if we are in awe of his goodness, that impacts the people that we're around. One of our high schoolers, we were talking about, you know, in this, in this story, he's like, how, how you know, why, why do you think the other prisoners didn't leave? You know, and, there, and one of our high schoolers, Tyler said, well, I think it's because of the attitude that uh, Paul and Silas set. I mean, they, they just, their, their whole attitude impacted the people around them. If we live in the all of God, think of the, the way that we can impact the people around us. What a great challenge this morning. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, and, and hopefully you'll join us next week as we continue our journey through the book of, of, of Joshua, talking about how do we leave a legacy. But let's leave a legacy to our family and friends that we are amazed that, that the God that we read in the pages of the scripture is our God. He's still at work. He is still all-powerful. And he's still working everything together for his honor and glory. What an amazing legacy we can leave for our family and our friends and our coworkers. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Have a great rest of your day.